The podcast of this local government meeting is brought to you by Michigan Radio. For more coverage of local government meetings and to find out how you can support this service, go to michiganradio.org. Test. There we go. Hello, welcome one and all to this uh, lovely Monday, April 18th, City of Kalamazoo Committee of the Whole meeting. First order of business is our good clerk, Scott Borling. Please call the roll. Commissioner Decker. Present. Commissioner Hess. Here. Commissioner Hoffman. Present. Commissioner Juarez. Here. Commissioner Pradle. Present. Vice Mayor Cooney. Present. Mayor Anderson. Here. Thank you, Clerk Borling. City Manager Ritzmar, are there any communications? Nothing, Your Honor. Now is the time for public comments. So first we will be taking public comments from individuals who are in the chamber. Uh, you'll have two minutes at the Community of Hull meeting. Please state your name and whether you live in the city. And there will also be the opportunity for call-in comments. DCM Chamberlain, what is the phone number that people should be calling? That phone number is 888-382-9556. Thank you so much. And you would need to call during this public comment period. Is there anyone in the chamber who wants to make public comments for our Committee of the Whole meeting tonight? Is it working? Oh, there we go. My name is Benjamin Stanley. Um, you guys have promulgated some rules for city chambers. There are lots of things you're not allowed to do. You're not allowed to smoke within 25 feet of a door. You're not allowed to bring 
emotional support animals to the Parks and Recreation office building where I'm a board member where I brought three puppies in a basket when they were little tiny. I thought people would like it, and they did, except for one person who no longer works for the city. Uh, but they put it in writing to the city manager's office. And I was looking up whistleblower in chapter 15, and it's really interesting. And I was also looking up conflicting positions. So for example, the mayor could not be the chair of a committee that the city council appoints funding to, because there's a conflict of interest. Um, and it talks about different people. I notice it's two minutes. I don't know if it's normally three, maybe because it's the committee of the whole. Um, but there's some really interesting things there, too. And I notice you guys are appointing um, somebody who is a county commissioner to be, to resume a position as a chair of a committee. Um, and I haven't dug into all the finances and where all of it comes from and where all of it goes. Um, but it's just really interesting um, that you guys will be intentionally appointing somebody else tonight to a position um, that, I don't know, may or may not receive funds um, from the position that they directly hold. Um, and I know that's at the next meeting. I just, I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to make it to the next meeting. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Is there anyone else in the chambers this evening who would like to make a public comment? Seeing no one at this time, DCM Chamberlain, is there anyone who's called in? We'll go ahead and check. Does not appear so. Thank you very much, uh, Deputy City Manager Chamberlain. Now we're down to our work session, Manager Ritzma. Thank you, Mayor. And tonight we will be receiving a presentation from our Director of Community Planning Economic Development, Rebecca Kick, on real estate and economic development financing and processes. So, Director Kick, I'll turn it over to you. Microphone sound okay? There we go. Okay, thank you so much, Mayor, Vice Mayor, Commissioners. Uh, I'm really looking forward to this presentation tonight. Uh, as you recall, a few months ago, it was actually Commissioner Decker who had asked uh, for uh, community planning and economic development to please talk about the Northside Cultural Business District Authority and corridor improvement authorities. And we thought, yeah, let's do that and let's talk about it in the context of uh, all of the things that we can also do in terms of tax increment financing and that type of district uh, which, which we also have in the city. And so uh, that's what we're gonna talk about first is, um, so community planning and economic development. What are all the things that we do within the realms of the corridor improvement authority and some of the other taxing jurisdictions uh, work that we do? So we're gonna hear from Jamie McCarthy about the Brownfield Authority. 
We have Jessica Wood here, who represents the Downtown Development Authority and the Downtown Economic Growth Authority, and I'll have everybody introduce themselves as they come up and speak, uh, as well as the Downtown Development Authority. She's the attorney for both of those boards. The Foundation for Excellence, we get a lot of funding through our Business Development Fund, which we also deploy through, um, through our department as well as uh, Economic Development Corporation Board, which is the other half of our Brownfield Redevelopment Authority. They're the same board, same folks, but they open and close both of those meetings. It's a different financial structure. The Northside Cultural Business District Authority, which you'll hear about a Corridor Improvement Authority tonight, that's its formal title. The Downtown Economic Growth Authority is also a corridor improvement authority, and you'll hear about um, its special powers as a qualified development authority. I'm trying to use all the big words and not the alphabet soup, so um, bear with me. Uh, we also, in our department, we, we work with all of the cannabis licensing and liquor licensing as well, as well as business marketing and retention services. Our corridor economic work, which not to be confused with the corridor improvement authority, but just the revitalization of our corridors in general, as well as any type of project development assistance, the coaching, the work that we do with our small developers and with our organizations to uh, revitalize our neighborhoods. So that's just one slice of the pie that is a part of our department. A while back, we had this video started because CPED's really a work in progress. In 2018, community planning and development became community planning and economic development with the retirement of Jerome Kiscorny. Uh, his staff and the Brownfield Redevelopment Authority then came under it, and that's how we became community planning and economic development. And during that time, we also, we were just learning a lot about each other and a lot about the process, a lot about the different ways we could be doing economic development, not just the ways we were doing it. And so we really went on a journey and we started to look at and document all of the different things that were happening in the city, but then what was the city doing and how were we interfacing together? And this is something that we continue to work on and are working to evolve. And uh, at that time, we had done this video. Might need you to press play for me, Scott. Thank you so Did? much. This is Kalamazoo, and this is you. You want to start a business, develop a property, or innovate new ideas in Kalamazoo. And the city is here to help you in a whole new way. Kalamazoo now offers a dedicated team of people who tailor paths to success by putting your vision first. Just email development at kalamazoocity.org to get started. City staff are excited to help you propel your project to launch and beyond because Kalamazoo is development simplified. Visit kalamazoocity.org development for more information. We set up a new uh, email account so that you could just like one portal in development at kalamazoocity.org you um, you know request what you need to do and and then you get our team 
And the person behind that team, I'm going to introduce Antonio Mitchell, who is our community investment manager. And I'm gonna have him work through who his team is and what his process is that he's beginning to build out so that we can truly step into and live into this idea of being development simplified. Good evening, Mayor, Commissioners, Vice Mayor. It's good to be here again. So as you can see from our team and from that video, um, our initiative is to simplify development in the city of Kalamazoo, um, to create one point of contact, to go to our website that's, that's being updated, um, to assist individuals to hopefully talk to us before you decide to do something. Our main communication is trying to get everyone to understand there's zoning and other codes that need to be taken in consideration when you're looking at doing something at a property and that you, we would recommend you talk to us before you sign anything or do anything um, at a specific property because sometimes the zoning may have changed, certain codes are required, which may uh, require you to put in additional money that you didn't expect to into a property. So if you can talk to us before you make any steps, any decisions, we can assist you not only in identifying if that site works for you, but more importantly, maybe even to help you find a better site that works on all the things you're trying to do as your new business or your expansion. So we're trying to get that communication out. And my team made up of Paul Thurnrigger, who's in the back hanging out, uh, Melanie Dagan, um, who is our business specialist. Um, Paul is real important in this process as that first point of contact. And the important here to hear in this presentation is contact us before you move. And one person to contact immediately, especially if you're dealing with a site property is um, Paul. And Paul, as you can see up here, is our development project coordinator, uh, which I used to be in that position. And that's really important because you have to help people where they are at, um, small, large, or medium, um, or even startup. And you have to understand what our process is in the sense of making sure that not only you fit uh, with your business in that location, but that location can adjust or make, um, quote unquote, the amendments that help you be successful. And that's our whole objective. Help you be successful at what you're trying to do at the location you're at or assist you in finding a better location. So that's Paul's job. In the case of Melanie, who her title is Neighborhood Business and Special Projects Coordinator, the key is neighborhood. Um, she's gonna be focusing more on neighborhoods uh, we're trying to expand, um, quote unquote, our services in um, home-based business development, micro-business development. Um, as you already know, we have funding right now for micro-business development, our business development fund, uh, which came from FFE. And so she's the resource grant loan connection person that can assist that business in pretty much helping Paul help them tap into the services locally. All right, so pretty much we're creating a one-stop shop of services here in our CPED division to assist you going through the process. Paul will also help you and Melanie will assist if an individual needs to go to our projects meeting or site plan. And that's a process of making sure you get on the calendar, making sure when you need to get on the calendar and what those requirements are that, that you understand when you 
Kunkel present your plans to the city and assisting you with working with any nonprofit or, or for-profit organizations that can assist you with your engineering, your architect, your site preparation. And then that may trigger in um, Jamie McCarthy, who's also here. Well, you may need some brownfield assistance uh, because all of a sudden you got some issues with your site that um, for your development project that we can assist you with as well. And that will be analyzed. So we try to enhance the ability of individuals to be successful by tapping into the resources that we have in our office and also the surrounding resources in the community to assist those individuals to be quote unquote productive with not only living in the city, but hopefully having their business in the city. All right. So we're also starting to take on some downtown requirements in this, this aspect as well. Um, we're also taking on some cannabis um, components, and of course, we've been always taking on liquor license in that process. So our division works in that aspect. We're expanding, hopefully, with some additional staff to assist a little bit more hand-holding, and that's the key that we're trying to do is hold uh, businesses by the hand and walk them through the process and making sure we can answer all their questions. And more importantly, in some cases, help them get through the site plan process as well. Um, because that usually is the, the issue that individuals run into is like, I didn't know I need to do this. And so we're trying to answer questions before they get there. One of the, the key components, um, as you can see up here, is we're assisting small businesses to grow where they're at, on the north side, east side, Edison. We're trying to work on those corridors um, here in the city. Um, that are connected to downtown, um, but are, um, as I say, solidified in our neighborhoods. So we have um, the facade program to assist with facade improvement. We have white box grant as well. They can assist with quote unquote build out of the individual sites as needed. And we have other partners like LIST and um, Northern Initiative Banks that can assist with additional financing for expansion and growth of certain projects and development projects. And so we're trying to leverage not only our city dollars, our FFE dollars, uh, with other dollars outside of the city, but also enhancing individuals' um, ability to not only grow in the city, but make the best business decision on why they're growing in the city. Um, um, I've, you know, in the past, sorry to say, referred people outside of the city because guess what? Our location doesn't work for what they're trying to do, but we live in the county of Kalamazoo. Uh, we're not, we're a partner and neighbor of business and economic growth for the region, not just the city. So we want to see what's best for the community because most of the time, um, a lot of our individuals will get jobs at quote unquote businesses that are not in the city. So we want to be quote unquote a great partner uh, with South Michigan First, uh, with Portage, with Oshtemo, with Kalamazoo Township, and we want to see them be successful as well as we be successful and make sure they can access hopefully some great employees from the city of Kalamazoo. So we, whoever's coming in, we're trying to assist them to locate in the city, but if not, we want them to locate in this area to be successful. So that's part of our initiative too, is being a great collaborative partner with our neighbors um, in particular, but also working with our downtown development components and also our regional development arms. And as you know, we work with the state very well with tax abatements and other incentives to assist individuals. And we hopefully walk them through the process of being successful in that process. So. Oh, oh. moving on. Thank you.
Thank you, Mr. Mitchell. Next, I'll introduce Jessica Wood and then uh, Jamie McCarthy to talk about all of our tax increment financing districts. Good afternoon. Nice to be here today. Do you want me to start then and talk about, okay, um, sounds like we're going to tag team it today. Um, and I'm going to be talking about your downtown development authorities and your corridor improvement authorities. So as I'm sure you're aware, you have a, a downtown development authority and a DDA is really designed to be the catalyst for the development of a community's business center. So they're downtown, that's what it was designed to do. It's one of the first um, tax increment authorities that was created by statute, so it's been around quite a while. And the whole idea is that it is designed to halt property value deterioration, increase property tax valuation, and to eliminate the causes of de deterioration within that downtown district. It can only be used by a municipality in an area principally zoned and used for business. And each municipality can only establish one DDA at a time. So there can't be multiple DDAs in each city. As you know, you've had a DDA for quite a while, and currently your DDA um, levies two mills, but it does not capture any tax increment revenue. So a DDA can finance its activities in a number of different ways. Um, it can capture tax increment revenues, which I'll talk about more in a minute. It can levy a millage, depending on its population size. It can create special assessment districts and levy special assess assessments against particular properties that are specially benefited. It can issue revenue bonds um, with the permission of the um, city that created it. It can also operate based on revenues from property owned or leased by the DDA. So the DDA actually has the authority to own and lease property in its own right. Um, and again, the city of Kalamazoo levies two mills, but does not currently capture any tax increment revenue. It used to, but that plan was dissolved. So DDAs have certain authorized powers as set forth in Act 57 of 2018, which by the way is the statute that has consolidated almost all of these different authorities into one huge statute. And DDAs are dictated by part two of that act. Um, and they can do so many things. My first set of slides was like 15 pages long and I was told to cut it down. <laughs> so I'm, I'm not gonna read it all to you, but here, here's the simplified version. So they can do a lot of fun and exciting things if you're a nerd like I am. So um, they can prepare an analysis of economic changes taking place in the district. They can study and analyze the impact of growth upon the district. They can plan and propose the construction, renovation, repair, remodeling of buildings. Um, they can plan and propose and implement improvements to public facilities, and that's a very important definition that you always have to look at because everything that you spend tax dollar money on has to be um, for a public purpose and also authorized by statute. And so that's sort of an underlying theme for the analysis you have to do whenever you spend tax increment revenue. 
They can develop long-range plans in cooperation with the agency chiefly responsible for planning. So in other words, the DDA can partner with your city planning department and they can work together. They can acquire by purchase or otherwise um, property to hold, to sell, or to lease. They can improve land and construct, reconstruct, rehabilitate, restore, or preserve um, any building, including multiple family dwellings. They can fix, charge, and collect fees, rents, and charges for the use of any building or property under its control. So I could go on and on here, um, but I think one last important thing that they can do is that they can they can create, operate, and fund marketing initiatives that benefit retail and general marketing of the downtown district. And when you think of DDAs, that's usually what comes to mind, is marketing the downtown district and helping the businesses within it. So that's often something that you see DDAs focusing on. They can also contract for broadband service and wireless technology in the downtown district and do all the other things that are sort of tangentially related to these authorities. They can also create, operate, and fund retail business incubators within the district, which is sort of a fun thing that we've done a lot of in Grand Rapids, and we have a good program for business incubators there. So that sort of summarizes what the DDA can do. You might wonder then what is it that, how is the CIA or Corridor Improvement Authority different? Because a lot of times you see both and and if you look at the list of authorized powers a lot of it reads the same and so the question is why do they have two of these different types of authorities well corridor improvement authorities were created later and they are really their emphasis is supposed to be on helping um, aging corridors so not so much the business district as much as aging corridors but a lot of the same powers exist one thing that is significantly different, though, is that corridor improvement authorities, or CIAs, which sounds more important than it is, <laughs> but, um, is that they cannot levy any millage. So they can capture taxes, but they can't levy. And so that's a significant sort of downside to a CIA as opposed to a DDA. Again, though, their, their authorities, their list is very similar to what you'll find in the DDA Act, so I'm not going to repeat it all. They do not have the authority to fund incubator businesses, so that's another little tweak that's different that was not added to the Corridor Improvement Authority statute. This, too, is covered within Act 57 of 2018. This particular authority is covered by Part 6 of that very same statute. Again, this is just more general information about CIAs. They have to be... Generally, they have to be composed like this. They have to be adjacent to a road classified as an arterial or collector road by the Federal Highway Administration, contain 10 contiguous parcels or five contiguous acres, et cetera, et cetera. So whenever you go to set up a CIA, you have to look at the statute and figure out whether you can meet those geographic compositional requirements. However, you can sort of circumvent all of those requirements if, in fact, you qualify as a qualified development area. So this is sort of a special kind of corridor improvement authority, and you have one of those. Your DEGA is a corridor improvement authority that is a qualified development area. Your North Cultural Business District Authority, which has been created but doesn't have a plan just yet, 
My understanding is that they do not meet this compositional requirement, so they will not be a qualified development area. And that's just because they do not meet this definition. So in order to become a qualified development area, there are some additional compositional requirements in terms of geography. And one of them is that it has to contain transit-oriented development or transit-oriented facility within it. So in other words, it's got to be close to trans public transit. And so it just depends on where it's located, really. But this is key, and this is a really nice thing to have, because if, if you can create a qualified development area, you have some additional powers under the statute that a corridor improvement authority that is not a qualified development area does not have. So in addition to all the powers that you can exercise normally, you can also make some additional types of improvements to lands. You can pay or reimburse a public or private person for costs associated with improvements. And you can make and enter into financing arrangements with the public or private person for the purposes of implementing the board's powers. Now, I can't say that I've seen a lot of these extra powers actually utilized, but they are in the statute, and it would be interesting to see how far people go with them at some point. One other interesting thing to note about qualified development areas is that taxing jurisdictions cannot opt out when you form one. And that's huge, because then you don't have to worry about who's in and who's out when you establish your district and are trying to do your financial planning. So um, corridor improvement authority activities can be financed with, again, these are going to look pretty familiar. A lot of them are very similar to how the DDA can fund their operations. Obviously, perhaps it goes without saying they could operate pursuant to donations. Um, money borrowed and to be repaid as authorized by issuance of bonds. Um, again, they, they are authorized to issue bonds, although generally speaking, that would be subject to the permission of the, the city that created it. Um, they can operate pursuant to revenues from any property that they own or lease or operate. They can have a TIF plan, and if they have a TIF plan, they can capture TIF revenues over the years and finance things that way. Um, they can create special assessment districts just like a DDA can and can levy special assessments to pay for their activities. Um, and then in a big catch-all here is they can operate with money obtained from any other sources approved by the governing body of the municipality. So really, the sky's the limit. Whatever money comes in that's not restricted, they can use it as long as they use it in accordance with their authorized activities and always within the confines of their geographic district. Also, they have to spend money in accordance with plan, a plan that they've adopted. So those are the things to check for. So the Northside Cultural Business District Authority is the one that um, the City Commission has already created the authority and appointed the body and the district has been established, but the plan has not yet been adopted. So you might recall that just recently you set the date for the public hearing um, on the TIF and development plan, which has not yet been adopted. So just to talk for a second about those two aspects of the plan, the development plan is how you're gonna spend your money. The TIF plan is how you're gonna pay for it. And if you're gonna use the tax increment financing uh, mechanism for collecting revenue, your TIF plan has to contain a development plan within it. 
So often, this is done jointly, and you have a TIF and development plan, which again is how you're going to spend your money and what, how are you, you're going to get the money to spend. So um, that is a corridor improvement authority, even though it's got its own brand for a name, which a lot of places do put their own spin on the name. So the next one, then, is your Downtown Economic Growth Authority. Your DEGA is also a corridor improvement authority. And this one has been around a little bit longer. Um, and as you know, there's an established authority board, and they do have a TIF and development plan that they operate under. They do not levy millage because they can't by statute, but they do capture tax increment revenues. And again, they're limited to spending uh, within their district and in accordance with their plan. And of course, all of this is always subject to the authorized powers within Act 57. So that's, that's how these work. Um, oh, and then Brownfield, Jamie can probably talk about this more than I can, but Brownfield is a little bit different animal. I'm sure that when most people hear about Brownfields, they think about environmental contamination cleanup. And historically, that was the emphasis, although as the legislation has been amended, the tools has really broadened over time. It's no longer just about environmental cleanup. You can do a lot more with Brownfield than you used to be able to do. A um, couple of key differences, they are authorities, just like the others we just discussed. Generally, plans are drawn around specific projects, and then the increment that is garnered from that particular improvement pays that particular developer instead of being sort of a district-wide setup. It's a little, little bit different there. Um, trying to think if there's any other general things I can point out about these. Um, I don't think so. They're, they're interesting creatures, these authorities. I describe them as like adult children. Um, you create them and you set them off on their own, but then uh, you have the power to dissolve them if their purposes are met, and you have control over their purse strings. So it's sort of an interesting, there's always a tension there, but but that's, that's what they are. They're your adult children. So any questions? Questions, commissioners at this point? I just have a real quick one. Um, thank you, Jamie, Jessica, Director Kick, and Antonio for this information. Um, I just thought it was very important to bring forward because a lot of people within, a lot of residents within the community don't know um, how these programs work and how they can benefit the city of Kalamazoo, especially when it comes to blighted areas that someone does want to come in and develop on, especially when we're thinking about developing housing at the time. So being able to have that assistance to come and help them with the demolition, get rid of that lead and asbestos as you have here, site preparation, infrastructure improvements, um, helping the land banks and the local government. Um, so I think all these programs are great programs, just we want to make sure that we're using them in the right way. That's always the benefit for the community. And actually, you just reminded me, Commissioner, that I forgot sort of a major explanation. I'm not sure that everybody is very familiar with how tax increment capture works, but when you establish an authority, you also establish its geographic boundaries, its district. And then you set a base value at that time. And thereafter, any increase in the revenue attributable to an increase in assessed property values from within the district, that, that gets captured and diverted back into investments within that district. So sort of a way oversimplified version of things. 
but it, it allows you to, again, it's not an additional tax, you know, tax, which I think is a big misunderstanding that people have. It's just that money from the growth gets fed back into the district. And the idea is that the more you invest, the more the value of that entire district will continue to rise. Thank you. Thanks, Jessica, for setting us up with uh, some basic rules of brownfield redevelopment. I'm here today to walk us through how the city of Kalamazoo does brownfield redevelopment, and in particular, our application process that someone's gonna come forward and uh, go through here at the city. So really the first step for any developer uh, or property owner is uh, we encourage them to meet with staff because we're gonna help you understand, help dig into your project and see if it qualifies for sort of the minimum criteria of brownfield. And so um, because this isn't a specific district, nearly any property throughout the city could perhaps qualify for this kind of incentive. Uh, that minimum qualification though is that the property has some type of contamination uh, that the property qualifies as blighted in some way. A property can also qualify as functionally obsolete, which is something the tax assessing office helps us understand. Is that building needs so many upgrades and so much work to really make it safe and operable? It can qualify under that category. And then some historic buildings also can qualify for brownfield redevelopment. In Kalamazoo, we also, besides just the state statute, we have some of our own local requirements when we wanna invite um, different types of projects in to um, look at or receive brownfield incentives. And so what we, you know, one of the first things we uh, talk about with a developer is what is the project, what's this new use or redevelopment gonna be, and how well does that align with or help us as a city to meet our strategic vision to help us create and realize our master plan? How well does your project align with what neighborhood plans have? What are the needs of the neighborhood and do they support this type of development? And then um, uh, we also look to see a project must come forward that demonstrates that they have a financial need. So a lot of the projects um, and brownfield plans that you're gonna see, they have uh, a commercial lender, they have some equity in there, think about this is similar to a down payment on a residential mortgage. But then there's also this gap that uh, there's a need for some public assistance um, and the Brownfield can step in and kind of help make that project a reality. And so what the Brownfield is often evaluating against is making sure that this project is offering a community benefit and that can be a variety of things. Uh, certainly something like uh, new jobs in the city would be a big one. Uh, we're looking for new public space or art or new infrastructure, sidewalks, snow melt, those kind of things can be a public benefit. Um, affordability is something we're always looking for and um, uh, maybe adding amenities that have been uh, recognized in a neighborhood plan. And the city really uses these community benefits to, and the Brownfield Board uses these community benefits um, to evaluate a project and decide what level of support do we want to come forward with and recommend for a project. And so um, once a project's found to kind of meet the minimum criteria, they uh, engage with the, the Brownfield Redevelopment Authority and they get invited to make an application. And this is where we really dig into the financials of the project, really try to demonstrate that public money is needed to make the project happen. 
and then also look at a whole variety of criteria and the whole purpose here is to see how well aligned is this project with our city's vision and master plan and so um, these different uh, incentives are things like location where we're giving a priority to neighborhood and commercial nodes and to our core neighborhoods uh, we're looking for density so mixed uses multiple stories in the right locations um, projects that have access to transit or increased walkability are pretty favorable and then anything that helps us uh, with new public improvements job creation uh, environmental cleanup green building you know the list goes on and on and affordability is certainly factored in especially when the brownfield sells property they offer special discounts so that um, that can help keep and create that affordability in housing and so if you can kind of if your project can tick two of these boxes you get the baseline seven years of TIF support and that's a reimbursement program where some of the taxes generated go back to uh, the developer to help cover these brownfield type expenses cleaning up contamination asbestos uh, abatement uh, site preparation the more of these criteria that a project meets then additional years can be added on and that's not to exceed uh, the BRA's policy right now is up to 25 years of TIF reimbursement so um, the final amount of brownfield support is detailed in a brownfield plan and that um, Jessica talked about is usually on a parcel by parcel or project by project basis and this body sees those plans uh, for their final approval so um, a plan is announced or noticed to the public and there's a public hearing that the brownfield redevelopment authority holds and it really details how much of that support the city is willing to give that project and then for final approval it goes to city commission and you often see those a couple of times a year on your agenda for approval by this body and it can take anywhere from a several months or more for staff and a developer to work through and finalize a plan like this but really we work with projects for years and even decades um, through that first conceptualizing phase all the way through implementing the plan and paying out the reimbursement over time and last I'd just like to wrap up with some of the benefits you know why do brownfield development what does it do for the city and for the residents of a city um, first in terms of cost to the city uh, brownfield is what I might call a self-supporting program so some of the tax taxes generated from that new development are captured and pay for all of the administrative costs of this program so there's no direct cost in that way brownfield TIF really creates a lot of opportunity for new development in places that otherwise wouldn't be supported by the private market so it's been a really key tool for instance, Brownfield TIF has helped a couple of different grocery stores get established in areas that otherwise were lacking in retail, and Brownfield was able to add some of that uh, financial uh, assistance. Brownfield will eventually create new tax revenue over time. So first, of course, the new, the new taxes that are generated get paid back to a developer, but as soon as that development uh, obligation or that incentive is finalized or finished or completed then those dollars go back to all of the taxing jurisdictions so creating sort of an incremental increase in taxable values to the taxing jurisdictions brownfield also encourages the reuse of contaminated and bl blighted properties that otherwise might sit 
vacant or underutilized in our neighborhoods, downtowns, and all throughout the city. And then the BRA has also required as part of their policies, uh, our developers who sign development agreements and have brownfield plans, they follow some best hiring practices. So they um, agree to local hiring and they also follow the city's ex-offender policies. And then I will say that the BRA is also really continuing to think about their policies and aligning those with the DEI values of the city. So that uh, concludes our presentation this evening. I invite any staff to join us uh, and answer any questions you might have. Thank you very much. I appreciate uh, you being here this evening. Questions? Attorney Robinson. Um, Ms. Wood was absolutely correct that most cities can only have, cities can only have one. There are, however, always an exception to the rule. And I, just because you may hear about it, Battle Creek has two DDAs, but that was because the township had one and the city had one, and then the two merged. And so they were, both DDAs were permitted to continue to exist. But that's the only community in, in uh, Michigan that I'm aware of that has two DDAs. So just in case you hear that, well, wait a minute, Ms. Wood said that you can only have one. Why does Battle Creek have two? That's the explanation. Thank you, Attorney Robinson. <laughs> Questions? Commissioner Pradel. Yeah. Hey, Jamie, thank you so much for the presentation. I, I had a question for you. In, in most situations that the city works with, or maybe just in general for brownfield sites, is it usually very like well thought out and intentional where it's like, ah, there's this brownfield site, I'm not even gonna initiate anything until you know, I've had a conversation with the folks about, you know, brownfield financing tools and those sort of things. Or are there circumstances where somebody, you know, acquires a property, uh, they have this, these grandiose plans, and then it's like, oh, geez, like, there's more to it than I thought. I really need some help to figure out how to get over the top. I mean, is it a combination of both? Is it more, one more than the other that you find? Yeah, it's a combination of both, I would say. Um, some of our most um, experienced developers um, kind of know the tools that are out there, and so they'll access those early and really plan it out with staff. Um, the nice thing about the statute is for, um, pro for activities that we want to fund here locally with our own tax dollars, so not some of the state education tax dollars that the BRA can capture in certain instances, but our local dollars, um, we have the ability to look back, if you will. So if a developer came forward and said, hey, I spent my own money removing an underground storage tank, I'm trying to redevelop this property and set up my business here, uh, they could come into the city and we may have an opportunity to reimburse them for costs that they have already um, uh, paid for. And that can happen from time to time, right? It's You think on the surface there's maybe just rehab the building, put in a new parking lot, but when you really start getting into it and when you get subsurface, you start realizing, hey, there's an old fuel tank, there's contamination here, and now I really need some help because the costs are starting to add up. And so people can certainly come to the city and we can uh, look at those things and find ways to help fund those. I just had one more question there. Um, so the other question I was just gonna ask you as well is, so say if uh, you work out certain financing tools and whatnot, and you know, there's an expectation that things are gonna happen, you know, say a year from now or something, and then things don't happen after a certain amount of time. Uh, I mean, how does that usually go if, if uh, does, does there come a point where you say, okay, we're no longer gonna work with the entity, we wanna try to find somebody to fill that site besides you, or is it a situation where, uh, for the most part, you know, try to get understanding of what's delaying it and try to help them move them along? How does that look? Yeah. 
Um, those are other great questions that the Brownfield Authority uh, faces pretty regularly. Um, delays can certainly happen in development. Um, the sort of requirements or expectations put on developers are finalized in a development agreement between the BRA and the developer. And so there always are those timelines. A, a project will start within 18 months and finish within two years or something like that. Uh, the Brownfield Authority often amends those and tries to work with a developer and be flexible. Uh, they always do also reserve the right, though, that if they find um, that the project isn't moving forward for some really substantial uh, reasons or, or maybe something that feels insurmountable, they can always, um, you know, if the, if the timelines aren't uh, being met, they have the ability to um, take whatever action they need. Uh, and they also, uh, through our application process, we do kind of take a look at and make sure that a developer's in good standing, current on taxes, hasn't had... Um, you know, a consistent record of maybe not following through with those agreements. Other questions, Commissioners? Commissioner Decker. Oh, thank you, Mayor. Um, I just have a quick question. Um, so what do you, who do you think are the biggest users of the brownfield here within the city of Kalamazoo? Yeah, so I've been with the city about three years, so that's three and a half years, so that's my um, background and knowledge. Um, we certainly, in um, the downtown area, I think we have probably the majority of our brownfield plans. We have a number in different neighborhoods, I would say quite a few in the north side neighborhood in particular. Um, a lot of times because that's a neighborhood where getting all of your financing, um, you know, getting all the dollars you need, uh, you may need some extra help and the Brownfield Authority has stepped in in that way. Also, there's um, uh, a number of properties that the Brownfield owns in the Northside neighborhood. So it's been an area where we've uh, used the tool a lot. Um, but typically it's been larger projects. There is a threshold we're looking for development projects that are starting at about $500,000 and greater because there's just a whole lot of um, work that goes into creating a plan and then implementing it over time. Um, but we have really been trying to work with um, a whole lot of different developers from emerging developers um, who are developing something for the first time, maybe a little more incrementally, something on a smaller footprint. And we've been able to use this tool because we have contamination throughout the city that isn't just limited to big properties and big um, projects. Uh, so even smaller parcels that might be three floors, a mix of you know, commercial and residential um, we're offering more assistance to more types of developers, um, I would say, in the last couple of years. Okay, thank you for that. And um, how many requests do you get per year on average? Um, we, I feel like we talk to new developers multiple times a month, and we kind of screen through and talk to folks about their projects and see if Brownfield's a tool that'll work for that project or not. Um, many times, for a variety of reasons, Brownfield won't be a good tool. In particular, we found that it can be really challenging with highly affordable housing projects that aren't going to be paying just regular property taxes. It just tends to not be the tool they need. We kind of lead them in the direction of other types of assistance. Um, but last year, we approved two Brownfield plans. Uh, this coming year we're I think we have five or six that are starting their reimbursement phase so they've been completely built out 
Um, so, you know, it's a half a dozen or so, I would say, every year or every couple of years that we approve and um, get built and then enter into the repayment phase. Okay. And about how many of those do you think get denied? I, I wouldn't, I kind of struggle answering that question. We do try to really meet with folks and understand their projects so they aren't making an application or paying an application fee and being rejected. I would say it's almost 100% acceptance or approval rating. Um, it's, it's probably more uh, when folks uh, apply, it's really kind of trying to find that amount of support we're gonna give or offer or recommend. So that's gonna change all the time. Um, but I would say, you know, I probably talk to one or two folks each month who their project isn't going to qualify or be a good match for whatever reason. And then that's when I can um, direct them to Antonio's team and some of the other sources that we have. Okay. Thank you. Um, so you said that when you, when an organization um, gets a TIF that there's boundaries made. Are there boundaries made? Uh, who makes the boundaries? It depends on which type of entity you're asking about. So are you talking about um, Corridor Improvement Authority, for example, um, or the DDA? Well, I guess we can go with both. Okay, so you guys set the boundaries for those. Ah, so okay. how it works is um, you ultimately approve the plan that would establish the authority, um, appoint the board members, create the district boundary, and then ultimately sign off on both the TIF and the development plans if those exist. And any amendment to those would come back to you and go through the exact same process. Okay. That said, Attorney Woods, there are statutory limitations in terms of setting those boundaries. So there are compositional requirements. So when drawing them up before they come to you, yeah. somebody's probably looked at a map and make sure they contain everything they're supposed to. Okay, I think that was more of the question. Thank you okay. for that. So, yeah. <laughs> so, And something I just thought of too is that to the extent that they overlap and they both wish to capture tax increment revenues, it's first in time, first in right. Mm -hmm. So the first one there with an active TIF plan is the one that's gonna capture. Okay. There are some creative ways to deal with that, but I won't go into that. So. All right, thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Decker. Commissioner Hoffman. Thank you. Um, I think this may be for Jessica. Um, how are the DDA and the DEGA doing financially right now? So um, the DDA and the DEGA, I mean, Rebecca can probably speak to this just as well as I can, but um, they are, uh, you know, they've undergoing some major changes right now, as I'm sure you're aware. Um, formerly, they had a contract with the Kalamazoo Downtown Partnership, which they have um, given notice to terminate. And my understanding is that a lot of those functions, which um, a lot of them are sort of traditionally city functions or close to it, are going to be reabsorbed or somehow managed by Rebecca and her team. And so, um, in terms of actual dollars, I do think that the TIF projections for the DEGA were way off where they actually came in. Um, that happens. I mean, if you understand how a district works, all it takes is some giant tax appeals, some properties to lose value within the district, and all of a sudden you can be underwater in terms of your projections. So it's always a little bit hit or miss when you're making those tax increment revenue projections 
projection, projections, which is what happened with the DAGA. Um, but the DDA, again, doesn't capture anymore, although they could if they adopted a new TIF plan, but they dissolved their last TIF plan. They just, they levy. And so I'm not sure what they bring in annually. I don't know if you know off the top of your head. Okay, about 270,000 annually. Um, and that's just a levy and they primarily concern themselves with parking and so forth at this point, although they certainly have the authority to do more than that. I don't know if that answers your question, but and then they're, I, they're on their way to a, a better place, I think, <laughs> financially. I believe that. And, and are we going to be making it better for capacity for your department, Director Kick? <laughs> Thank you so much for your questions, Commissioner Hoffman. <laughs> I have certainly um, discussed those outcomes with a city manager and with leadership. Uh, and I'm glad you asked that question. And this is another really great reason why we gave you all this uh, presentation too, because as we make decisions about the DDA and the DAGA, kind of what's going on there, it's great that y'all have like this baseline now so that we can start to dive into more specifics as we start to move forward and we need to make decisions as well. So when I am asking for additional staff capacity or uh, you know, we start to discuss some of those different financial dynamics that are, are happening with that DDA2 mill and things, um, now you'll kind of, you'll have a great background for, for where that, that's coming from and where we could steer it. My last comment is, you know, you all have given a whole bunch of information and I want to just be transparent. I still don't get it. Um, so if you all could do something and give us like a mm -hmm. something for dummies to help us understand more about what's happening, yeah. uh, that would be great. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking actually when Jessica was describing um, the TIF process, I did. I got an infographic in my head. So, um, yeah, that's what I'll try to make sure we do something really nice and visual for you as well. So at least you've got a flow chart of some of the things. I've got um, a real nice one that was done a few years ago that also outlines the DDA, kind of their structure, their powers, and then those eligible activities and, and reimbursement expenses. And then it goes through the CIA and then it talks about the brownfield. So you'll have that kind of chart and then we'll work on kind of the flow as well. Like, okay, tax increment in district, tax increment in by parcel, so that you can kind of see each of those. So yeah, I appreciate that, absolutely. It's taken me years, oh my gosh. <laughs> Been at this since 2018 and I, I think the light bulb went on like last year, I was like, I got it. <laughs> so we'll just keep ex exposure therapy. That, that's the way we'll do it. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, so Jamie was saying that um, there's new members on the Brownfield board as well this year, and we'd be happy to invite you to our training um, for that board as well. So maybe you could start to narrow in on at least one of these districts. Thank you again for your time. And uh, again, if there's anything else we can dive into. Uh, Commissioner question. Hess. Oh, yes. Just Sorry. a brief question. I know you wanted sure. to get out of here, Rebecca. I know mm -hmm. you did, but. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so uh, back when we were talking about the marijuana ordinances, mm -hmm. uh, we had 
I know that there is profit coming back from the state, and I know that we had just received some. And mm -hmm. we had talked about, and, and some you have talked about the incubators that were are happening mm -hmm. throughout the city. But are we working on an incubator process for folks in the cannabis industry? <clears throat> Thank you again. So yes, we're not like working on an incubator process. What we're proposing, uh, which we're in discussion with um, the city manager's office on the proposal of how to utilize those dollars, including, including the equity initiative as well, is we're proposing creating somewhat like a cannabis chamber um, and doing an RFP for a cannabis chamber to be created to assist us in funding dollars into a into pretty much a system of programming that can really dive into the real needs of not only the public getting into business, but also education, um, healthcare, and other aspects of um, assisting the community and taking advantage of the cannabis industry. So we're trying to hopefully create a chamber structure that will assist in building up that process. Um, as everyone knows, the, the investment in a cannabis business is very expensive. It could be a minimum of six figures and seven or eight figures, depending on what you're trying to do. So we're also looking at underneath our micro business development center development, we'll be working with the Kalamazoo um, incubator that's gonna be opening up, which would be the CanDo um, Kalamazoo incubator. Um, They'll be behind um, um, what um, park and walnut um, coffee shop in the old KPEP structure will be the future incubator development. And we're going to have a micro um, business training center in there, um, pretty much run by our staff um, underneath um, Melanie Dakin to assist individuals that have um, small businesses that may want to go into canvas. And we're going to be identifying, working with the canvas industry, hopefully through the chamber, identifying small business development um, collaborations. Uh, because there's a lot of, um, as I say, service businesses that can work with the campus industry that you don't have to have that humongous large investment. So we're going to be looking at trying to help businesses in that framework. Um, on the larger investment, we don't have the scale of dollars to assist at that level. But we can assist um, at that small 10-person or less service component working with that industry type of development. That's what we're going to be focusing on. All right. Yes. Other questions, Commission? Seeing none at this time, Manager Ritzma. Yeah, thank you, Your Honor. And one, I just want to recognize this team of rock stars before us uh, related to economic development and community planning. So, just a little bit of history back in. 2018, uh, Jerome Cascorni, who Rebecca mentioned, uh, retired and. Prior to that, economic development and community planning were two separate departments. And um, Rebecca took on the challenge of combining those two into one department, as we know it today, and um, has just done an incredible job building her team and, and really bringing all of that together into one process and one, one um group of folks that focus on all of what it means to be in planning and economic development. So I just wanted to acknowledge that. Um, also, and I may have missed this, uh, with the Brownfield, the revolving fund, uh, was that mentioned at all? Do you want to just touch on that a little bit as it relates to what that 
fun, how it's created and, and what it can be used for. Oh. Can you hear me? Mm -hmm. So there, the city does have a Brownfield Revolving Fund, and this is um, uh, a budget that gets um, funded at the end of these Brownfield plans. So if you approve a 10-year Brownfield plan um, up to five years after that 10-year plan that the developer has been paid back, uh, the tax increment goes into that fund. Uh, that fund can be used for the same type of uh, development costs that um, developers have the access to. So that's cleaning up contamination, it's building demolition and lead and asbestos abatement, it's preparing the site. Um, it's, it's a lot of the elements that um, have to take place other than you know building the building and putting in the parking. It's sidewalks, um, all sorts of public infrastructure in the public right of way. Uh, it's limited, but it is really important dollars that help add to and get projects done. And so um, the Brownfield Authority can take on those costs and use those dollars in the fund if they want. Um, in the past, they've offered loans for those types of costs to um, development projects. Um, and it kind of replenishes itself so it can continue to be used to essentially make a, a brownfield previously developed property as financially um, viable as a, a site maybe outside of the city that's never been used, what we might call a greenfield site. It's really trying to incentivize and even the playing field and the costs for redeveloping these formal industri industrial or um, otherwise blighted properties. Thank you. Uh, that concludes this part of the uh, presentation. I'm going to ask that uh, community investment manager Antonio Mitchell come up, and he's going to discuss what's going to be on the 7 p.m. agenda regarding the graphic packaging um, community benefits agreement. Antonio? Thank you again. So, <clears throat> As the public knows, Graphic Packaging received a tax abatement from the state of Michigan um, in 2020, and we approved also extensions. So they've gotten two extensions. Uh, they will be up for another extension at the end of this year. Um, in last year's extension, the city commission and the mayor requested that Graphic Packaging participate in creating a community benefit agreement um, that will assist the community and graphic packaging in the city to work better together in showing the benefit of that investment in the community. So in that process, we created a steering committee, the CBGPI Graphic Packaging Incorporated Community Benefit Agreement Steering Committee. Uh, I did like Rebecca got to say it all. Um, and the idea there was to pull together individuals from graphic packaging, individuals from the city, and individuals from the community to sit down and discuss what benefits the community could work with graphic packaging to provide to the community. Uh, that's what's coming in front of um, this commission tonight, um, is that agreement. In that process, we had um, pretty much four graphic packaging representatives, three city representatives, and then we have four community representatives that came out of our um, CDAC um, group. And CDAC is the city's Community Development Act Advisory Committee. 
And the importance of that is, you know, you know, you know, uh, people have been asking, why did you pick that group? Well, that group was, is an entity created by this commission to assist with community engagement. Um, their initiative is to work with the community in understanding when we get federal dollars from HUD on how those dollars, millions of dollars, um, are being utilized in the community and have community engagement. We have representatives from neighborhood associations and then um, at large representatives on that board. So we as CPED staff said we want to utilize that group that we work with on a regular basis from the community that has a representative from the neighborhood associations that also has representatives from the community that can go into the community, talk to the churches, talk to the neighborhood associations because they talk about what we're doing as a city with um, not only HUD dollars but other dollars as well. Um, so that they can not only educate, but also have the engagement at a grassroots level. And so they were the representatives that um, talked to the churches, talked to the neighborhood association, talked to some residents to get additional feedback for this group. The group came together pretty much every other week, starting in January of this year. Um, pretty much it was a 90-day process, and we ended uh, March 29th um, with a plan. Um, our city attorney was involved. Their attorney was not involved, but was involved in sense with information that we provided that they would review before it got any traction um, on our side to make steps. In that process, um, we made sure we did not overextend our community involvement. We had uh, pretty much Zoom meetings, so it made it very flexible for individuals to meet from wherever they at, and we had individuals, of course, from graphic packaging that are not in the state of Michigan that would um, also participate um, in the meetings, and we had individuals, of course, in the community because of Zoom that could participate from their house and not have to travel. So in that participation, we came up with um, not only recommendation, but also an ongoing agreement uh, with graphic packaging to extend the guess, commitment of the steering committee to be ongoing involved with graphic packaging. And how that comes about is in the agreement, um, they came up with four goals. And the importance of this, this agreement as well is that it goes with the time frame of the tax abatement. Now it can, as our attorney um, Clyde can speak to, can go beyond that, but officially it, it stays with the tax abatement. As we stated, the tax payment is only extended for one year, so it ends this year. So the agreement that you're going to um, hear more about at the regular meeting for me um, only goes to the end of this year, the end of this, this, this um, quote unquote tax abatement period. Um, they will ask for extension, and during the extension, the agreement can be amended and adjusted um, and then go with that time frame of that approval of that extension. And then if they need another extension, then we can make adjustments as well at that time period as well. So the key with the, the CBA is that it keeps the community and the commission involved with literally communication and engagement with the organization that's getting the benefit and can be adjusted as needed by working with the organization, the community, um, to make the adjustments that's necessary for extending and working out those benefits as needed. And it has to come to this commission for approval. Now the key factor is this commission has to 
uh, as I say, not only approve it, but understand that, as, as stated, it goes with the tax abatement. So it can go beyond the 12 years, but that was something that would have to be legally worked out with graphic packaging and the city to extend it beyond that. But it only goes as long as the tax abatement um, currently. So the items that were pretty much approved by the CBA was um, community engagement liaison. So one thing that was talked about is that no one knows graphic packaging. No one, had, the city doesn't have a relationship, the community doesn't have a relationship. And so it was important um, from the, the steering team that there was a commitment by graphic packaging to have community engagement and a person to work with. So they're going to be hiring someone to do community engagement and being a representative for the, the city, not the city, representative working with the city and the community uh, from graphic packaging. They also agreed to have, of course they have job fairs, but specific job fairs in the neighborhood and specific um, education and training to assist individuals to prepare for the jobs that are, especially the entry level jobs that will be open at graphic packaging. So they've, they've committed to do that. Um, they've also committed to um, a multi-use site improvement initiative. One thing that the, the pretty much the residents um, spoke to um, the CDAC board members is, is that there's no specific sites or um, activity areas that um, you can have special events where you have food trucks and businesses at and activities. And so they wanted to say, how do we work with graphic packaging to assist the community from a, the private standpoint to work with the city to identify not only a site, but also identify other dollars other than graphic packaging to invest in that site for these type of initiatives. So that's one of the initiatives that's also been put on the table um, by the CBA to be in part of this agreement. And then, um, last but not least, um, the, the CBA steering to me, especially coming from the community, is there needs to be some, hopefully, funding assistance grants to assist with investing in the community as well. So there is a commitment of utilizing 50% of their um, tax capture that they were receiving towards putting into a grant fund that would be managed and um, coordinated by the steering committee and the liaison to work with identifying now the uh, eligible grant quote unquote recipients and projects, but also identifying um, the most um, desirable uh, quote unquote requests by the community um, in this particular area is looking at the east side and north side for um, community investment. So that is what's coming forth from this group. Um, it was, um, um, I think very um, successful in the communication and relationship. Um, Clyde even enjoyed himself at, at the meetings um, that he attended. And I think it was very productive um, in the feedback that we were receiving, not only from the businesses, but also from, quote, unquote, the community at hand. And um, city um, staff was um, pretty impressed with not only the collaboration, but the feedback that we received from both parties. I can answer any additional questions. Questions, commissioners? Yeah, I got. Yeah, Vice Mayor Cooney. Um, so, the what what we have before us tonight does nothing to extend their tax abatement. No. And uh, this tax abatement will still be in place no matter what we do tonight. 
Yes. Until the end of the year. Yes. And then they were going to ask for how long of an extension. We do not know yet. Um, one thing we, we discussed with the steering committee, which was very important, is that what you have in front of you is something they're trying to initiate this year, doing during the tax abatement time frame, which gives pretty much eight months. Okay. So they would like, and, and even staff would like, to have multiple years so we can have some measuring, measurement of, of impact because you don't have enough time. And if you gave three years, five years, you could also expand the CBA requirements more beyond the four items to some additional items, but items that you can definitely measure. Um, because there was ideas of um, working with Habitat, you know, to do two houses a year, you know, in, in the north side neighborhood on empty lots. Well, that's not enough time this year to do something like that. But that could be a long-term type of initiative that could be worked on. Uh, one thing graphic package you want to do, though, is the Habitat idea was great, but they want to have a bigger impact on more folks than just a couple families a year. So we have to think about that as well, that they want to have a bigger impact than just a couple families, but they can do a couple families, but they want to do more than just that. Mm -hmm. But you need, the issue is we, we definitely need more, more time and more quote unquote space to really um, identify, are they being su successful, but are they also having the impact that they say they're supposed to have? So, the, what, this is just me. Um, I mean, they're doing a lot of good work there with recycling and things like that. And they pay their people well. Mm -hmm. But there's a cost to that factory being there. Mm -hmm. And it's that those two neighborhoods, especially the north side, but somewhat the east side too, that are, that are paying a cost for that. So, we have to weigh that in, in what we do. But this what we vote on tonight really won't impact that because that's a longer term. This is already agreed to. Correct. And Correct. we're going to get a report back from the state about the health implications of that. Correct. And, and that's it, very important. And that is very important that we, is, I know it's a little hard for the community to understand is, <clears throat> excuse me, is that this body has one responsibility, okay? And then the state has their responsibility. We, you, cannot take the place of the state. Their responsibility is, like you said, the environmental issues. We, we don't deal with environmental issues unless we're assisting underneath Brownfield Authority or other aspects in helping clean up something for a development project. In this case, we're talking about a more longer term initiative over 100 years that the state has to assist with. That's nothing that's in your preview to deal with directly. Um, pretty much what you can do is assist the state in their process in helping this organization cooperate more with the state in implementing the things that the state requires. But the health issue mm -hmm. is something we have to deal with, and also the, the quality of life, which mm -hmm. is, you know, they pay a price in quality of life with that. Correct. Smells and stuff. Correct. Okay. Okay, thank you. Yes. Other questions for Mr. Mitchell at this time? Commissioner Pradle. Hey, Antonio, thank you uh, for being here tonight. Uh, so I had a question about the survey. It talked about mm -hmm. uh, doing a current and then an end-of-year survey. Yes. And it, in the description, it, it basically described about trying to gauge how the relationship is doing. Mm -hmm. But I wonder if there was any discussion about gauging what the community interest is in 
you know, uh, the multi-use site or um, just getting a, a more of a, a viewpoint of like, you know, what, what the greater community would like to see or the neighborhood would like to see to guide that steering committee or the, the group, you know, and, and what they decide to use with those grant dollars and whatnot in the future. Yes. So, um, Commissioner Prado, that, that is a good point. And that point was discussed as well is how do you go beyond this year relationship-wise? And that was the importance of the community liaison position. Um, the first initiative is um, by graphic packaging in this relationship with the community is to make sure that the communication is, is going back and forth. Um, because a lot of times, as you know, as commissioners and the mayor, you know, people come up and say, you're not listening to what we're saying. So the initiative or the survey is to make sure that the business, the liaison, the steering team is literally listening to what the public is saying. That's number one. Make sure we're hearing from the people that we're supposed to be hearing from and dealing with the issues and concerns that they are concerned about. Then when we make sure we have a clear direction of communication with both parties, then we can add on additional surveying and information because now we have a quote unquote dialogue that's going back and forth that can be beneficial to both parties. But the first thing is to um, analyze, are we getting the dialogue correct? Um, and, and are we hearing what they're saying and are they hearing what we're doing in the community is the first step. So your ideas have been talked about and hopefully will be implemented. But the first step was making sure that there's um, precise and direct communication that's being beneficial to both parties. Thank you. And I apologize too. I'll probably ask some of these questions tonight as well because I think it's important for the greater audience. Not as many people watch this here, but it's helpful for our learning process. The other question I had is when I was reading the description about it, I couldn't quite understand in terms of the, so 50% of the 2022 tax abatement mm -hmm. is about the target of, of, of use for that grant fund. Mm -hmm. Is, or I should say, are all the uh, four initiatives proposed in it, are those funded through that si roughly $60,000 or is it just? No. Okay. Nope, it's just a grant. Okay. So all the other initiatives are pretty much funded by graphic packaging. Okay. So it's, I mean, it's really more of an investment than $60,000. It's yes. just that that's what the particular grant fund would encompass per year. Okay. Correct. And then uh, the other question I had as well is in the goal one, it talked about the community engagement liaison. Mm -hmm. And it, th there was kind of particular language there. It said select and contract that position. Mm -hmm. So does that mean, are they aiming to have a full-time position for the company that does that work? Are they looking to contract with somebody local who might have a broader portfolio of like, you know, doing that sort of work as well? Correct. Um, they're looking just to for select contract for a period of time. Okay. Um, you brought up the survey. The key factor for graphic packaging in this discussion with the community is making sure, like you said, they have the right representative communicating with the community, but two, they're getting the right feedback. Mm -hmm. um, if, quote unquote, the community say they don't want a community engagement person, um, they want something else, then graphic packaging, because of a contract, they can pivot and make those adjustments. Um, right now, they're just trying to make sure that they have um, clear and direct communication with the community and that they're tracking and providing data, hopefully to us, mm -hmm. on what the community is telling them um, what they want to see and what they want, quote unquote, graphic packaging to engage in working with them. And uh, that's helpful, thank you. And just lastly, this is kind of like a, a thought that just kept, kind of kept creeping in my mind. I was like reading everything this week. 
is just that you know in terms of what you're thinking about some of the concerns that the community has like you know I th the first thing that keeps coming to mind to me is like environmental right mm -hmm. and you know I know like we've heard in recent months there's 12,000 spots citywide just in right of ways alone where there's a perfectly prime spot to plant a tree and you know uh, you, know, you can read all, all about the environmental justice and uh, you know the, the impacts of like uh, you know urban forests and that sort of thing but you know I think that could be a tremendous you know thing to look at potentially as a company uh, you know to create that uh, you know especially around the plant and in the neighborhoods that are surrounding so that was just thought yeah thank you thank you mayor thank you Antonio um, so I do have a question regarding um, the community grant fund so is that going to be a one-time split between two neighborhoods or or how how do you think they may use those funds or the steering committee may use those funds pretty much um, they're going to be you know, I don't want to say surveying but asking the community how they want to utilize those dollars um, the rocket football program was brought up to assist them with some funding as well does that go through the grant program or the or do they reach out to graphic to sponsor um, some teams you know that needs to be discussed by the steering committee and that's why graphic and the steering committee CDAC board members want to continue the program going forth so they can continue having the conversation remember we only had 90 days mm -hmm. um, to have this conversation and, and drill down on to getting something done that hopefully can be impactful for just this year um, the goal is to hopefully um, identify what type of programming the community would like to see graphic fund um, and then figure out how to extend that going forward um, I think it's going to come down to the community being involved with the steering committee and the community liaison to really identify if you only have this amount of funding this year what are the impactful things you want to see this year and what would be some of your projections going forward on how you think dollars that are being captured can be utilized or even leveraged to um, have an impact on both these communities north side and east side okay so i just want to make sure i'm understanding this correctly mm -hmm. so this sixty thousand dollars would be given to fund programs every year they had a tax tax certificate that's that's okay. their goal that's their goal so remember they only got one year right now but okay. if it gets you know three more years then those three years they would capture those dollars and then put those dollars back in the community correct and then of course as, as the taxes go up the funding would then also increase correct correct, correct. so that 60 is is the estimated value currently that could change um, depending on of course our tax structure of capture and again the 60 is the 50 percent so their taxes would have been $120,000 yes for this for, year of what they capture what they're getting back okay, um, okay thank you yep I may have more questions later on <laughs> no problem so remember the questions you have here please sorry to say write them down so you can ask them again during a regular meeting um, so we can um, uh, re-express those to the community as well at that meeting Manager Smith. That concludes our work session this evening, Your Honor. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, Mr. Mitchell. I know we will see you back in a few moments. Uh, so just I just want to 
get back a little bit, just think a little bit about what we've done here tonight. So we've talked about a couple different things, big things in the city. One is TIF districts, a couple different kinds, corridor, uh, our DDA, and brownfield. Corridor and DDA are geography-based. The BRA is specific to a particular site. So that location could be anywhere in Kalamazoo. Doesn't have to be in one specific geography. And all these actions are, I would suggest, they're, they're kind of under the heading of there's no such thing as a free lunch. And that is this, is that this gives us the opportunity to direct new resources, not existing resources, but new resources that are created by new investment and the new creation of more tax base, it gives us the opportunity to direct those resources to a specific place, either to a very specific site, as in Brownfield, or possibly more generally to an area like a DDA slash Dega or the NCBDA. So that is simply what it is. If there is new increase in value above a baseline, it allows us to capture that value and reinvest it specifically. And what does that mean? Here's the no such thing as a free lunch part. That means that an increase in tax base, which is what funds us in, in large measure, our general fund tax dollars, then do not come to the city to be dispersed in a general citywide way, but are captured and focused specifically in those areas. And that the intent of that is to do two things. Help an area like a downtown that's important to us or a corridor area that's struggling by providing some specific reinvestment or to encourage development that might not otherwise occur because there's extra expenses when you're developing a brownfield site that you would not have if you went someplace else that didn't have blight or contamination. So that specific incentive there is addressed to those expenses. Just to think about that. So that, that's a big thing. Another thing is that I just want to remind those of us here that we as commissioners also sit on those boards. I believe Commissioner Decker you are a representative to the Brownfield Authority. You are a voting member of that board. Uh, some of the boards that we sit on, we are not voting members. We are purely liaisons. We go there as, as guests. But because it's an existing authority, because the state, state statute allows it, you are a voting member of that board. I sit on the NCBDA, the Northside Cultural Business District Authority, by uh, you know, by law, I have a seat on that board, and I also sit on the DAGA and the DDA for downtown. And I have the voting power on those boards as well. Still, ultimately, they're the creation of the city. And so, ultimately, you know, it's our responsibility to determine if those boards are, you know, and those activities are moving our desires forward, executing on our goals and hopes for the city Kalamazoo. Right now, just as a reminder for everybody, the NCBDA board is not 
fully operational. In other words, it does not have the capacity. Remember, it will not ever have the capacity to actually have an extra couple mills in charge, but it doesn't have the capacity to capture a tax value of an additional investment. That will not occur until the whole plan is approved by us and the, in addition, taxing authorities, it's not just us that taxes here, if you look at your tax bill, there's, what, 10 different taxing authorities there rounding off that tax, whether it's the, the countywide uh, public safety tax that we're, we have for renewal on May 3rd, whether it's Kalamazoo Public Schools, whether it's the library, whether it's Kalamazoo Valley Community College, all those entities, in essence, can lose the opportunity to get that additional tax revenue by an increase in value. And they give that up and allow it to be captured within a district to use specifically for improvements in that district. So that means that members of the NCBADA board right now are visiting with the library board, Kalamazoo Public Schools board, to make sure that they're all signing off on, on that plan to allow additional increase in tax value tax to be captured in this area. So a rather complicated uh, kind of an activity, but one that we should know about. And particularly, since we sit on those boards as well, uh, help be the communicators of how that works. So I think it's great to have this discussion about all those complicated nuances of all the variety of things we do. I, I will say this going to our second, second topic, uh, which I'll say again at our seven o'clock meeting. But just a reminder that you know, we have a very new commission since November, and the prior commission, when the request came in to extend this PA 198 uh, tax you know, break that was part of a whole state economic development package that came to encourage the investment graphic. When that came back to the previous commission last fall for an extension request, what, what was one of the requests that came along with that was to do something which is new for us here in Kalamazoo really, which is create a community benefit uh, relationship tied to the granting of that you know, tax abatement time period with the city. So one of the requirements was meet, engage the community, create a plan, use community input to create that plan, come back to us with that plan, and our expectation was we were gonna see that plan in April. And that was the clear expectation that went along with this one-year extension. So now here we are. So there's been community engagement. Uh, obviously, graphics packaging is involved, but community members are involved. There, there was a whole process, and that plan that we requested for that extension is now coming in on time. However, here we are. We got the plan. They got a one-year extension. So in essence, this is the plan with eight months to go now in this particular extension for what we asked for. So 
what we will see tonight is, is the outcome of all that work and the input that happened from our community partners. And although there may be things at this point, you know, we would think, oh, this would have been a good idea to include in that plan. This has operated on a community basis, and here we are now. And going forward, certainly we will have an opportunity for further discussions on what future community benefit agreement plans might look like. And that, as it did last year, is probably likely to be part of the discussion when we are asked about extending this PA 198 again. So just a little context about that. I know everyone knows that, and I'm happy to say it again at 7. But just thinking about what it is, uh, the great work that's happened with city staff. Thank you, Mr. Mitchell. And uh, Manager Ritzma, I think you have participated in all those meetings as well. So that's what we have. We have the results from requests that was made last fall related to this one-year extension. And that's what's coming to us tonight. Any commissioner comments for this meeting? All right, see none. Well, we got a few moments here. We'll be back for our business meeting at 7. Uh, looking forward to uh, a full agenda this evening. We are adjourned.